I may further observe that my object in this work has been so to prepare and train candidates for the sacred office, for the study of the sacred volume, that they may both have an, an easy introduction and be able to prosecute it with unfaltering step. For, if I mistake not, I have given a summary of religion in all its parts and digested it in an order which will make it easy for anyone who rightly comprehends it to ascertain both what he ought chiefly to look for in scripture and also what head he ought to refer um, whatever is contained in it. Having thus, as it were, paved the way, as it will be unnecessary in any commentaries on scripture, um, which I may afterward publish, to enter into long discussion of doctrinal points, and enlarge in commonplace. I will compress them into narrow compass, in this way, much trouble and fatigue will be spared to the pious reader, provided he comes prepared with a knowledge of the present work as an indispensable prerequisite. The system here followed, being set forth as in a mirror in all my commentaries, I think it better um, to let it speak for itself than to give any verbal explanation of it. Farewell, kind reader. If you derive any benefit of, from my labors, aid me with your prayers to our Heavenly Father. John Calvin, Geneva, the 1st of August, 1559. The zeal of those who caused, whose cause I undertook has swelled a short defense into a book. I profess to be one of those who by profiting write and by writing profit. Augustine, Epistle 7. Good morning, everybody. This is Zachary Kameen, the Curious Christian. And these are Curious Conversations. <coughs> and today... <coughs> Excuse me. I wanted to uh, introduce you to uh, one of my favorite saints in church history. Uh, my favorite pastor in all of church history thus far, outside of Christ, of course. Uh, Christ being the great pastor, the great shepherd. Uh, this is my favorite pastor, though. Uh, for uh, this is John Calvin. Uh, he was a Frenchman from the 1500s who uh, was um, exiled to not exiled, uh, but he was kicked out of France because of uh, inquisitions and things. And he went to he found himself in um, Geneva. Uh, and was exhorted by a evangelist there to become the pastor of Geneva. Uh, in fact, the person who encouraged him 
uh, told her that if he didn't uh, say yes, then God would curse him in all of his endeavors. So uh, Calvin felt compelled by God to uh, to do just that. Uh, this, what I just read from, was the last paragraph of his uh, preface to this book called The Institutes of Christian Religion. Uh, this book is not a uh, comparative religions uh, insofar as it's it's not about how Christianity relates to Islam. It is not Christianity, how it relates to Judaism or Buddhism or Hinduism or any of the other isms. Though those were certainly out there, those philosophies, those religions, those uh, belief systems were there even in uh, John Calvin's Geneva. And he, but this book is not about, uh, is not about uh, comparing Christianity to uh, any of them. Uh, this is about this this uh, institutes of Christian religion was John Calvin's way of one trying to convince the King of France and the Holy Roman Empire that the uh, reformed sect, the Protestant sect uh, was not heretical. The reason why is because um, heretics, um, it was a cap her preaching heresy was a capital offense. Now you may believe heresy in the uh, Holy Roman Empire at that time. You may even uh, be a Muslim, uh, but you were by no means allowed to uh, proselytize false religion or heresy. So he was trying to show uh, the Western Church and its uh, prospective governments that the Reformed Church was not teaching anything that would deserve the capital uh, punishment. Uh, he had he had plenty of his uh, uh, parishioners who were standing trial in France. Uh, plenty of his uh, friends and family members who were standing trial in France. And so plenty of his fellow Frenchmen were standing trial in France for being Calvinists. Uh, and he would write these, uh, these volumes as a way of trying to prove to the King of France that they are not uh, deserving of death because of, and then he'll, he goes into his institute on explaining why. Uh, this is an amazing book insofar as it's it's Catholic. Uh, if you ever spend time with me, I will often correct people when they say that they're Catholic 
or this person is Catholic or that person's Catholic. I'll often correct them and say, are they Papists? Are they um, Roman Catholics or are they Catholics? And they'll say, what's the difference? I'm like, well, Roman Catholic is a sect of Christianity. It is a sect of the Catholic Church that points itself towards Rome as, as its source and authority oftentimes. Uh, Catholic is in reference to the whole thing, uh, whether it be uh, Protestants, uh, Papists, Orthodox. Uh, Catholic can be Catholic on its own can even be in reference to the heretics themselves, uh, at least in the visible church scheme of things, the church as we see it. Uh, you can, then you get into you know, holy, um, when you add the adjectives um, holy and apostolic, uh, you start to dwindle it down, but I do want to define my terms on it. But Institutes of Christian Religion is uh, one of the best uh, Catholic documents insofar as it is a strong reformed document that seeks to not part ways um, necessarily with uh, the Papist Church, but uh, it is a Protestant, it is a reformer who seeks to reform the church from the inside out. And his recognition is that uh, we didn't leave the church, uh, the church kicked us out, uh, and he's trying to prove that it's for no good reason. Uh, so, in some of these that are dealing with uh, uh, John Calvin and his institutes, uh, uh, similar with my uh, the poetry ones, I just want to get you guys acclimated to where I'm coming from as far as uh, my worldview, where I stand on things. So that way you guys have a really good idea of uh, where I'm getting my ideas from. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, chapter one of the Institutes. I read uh, the last paragraph of the preface, but I would be remiss if I didn't uh, read at least chapter one, section one of the Institutes, just so you guys can get an idea of uh, the style of this, of this man. Yeah, I will say that obviously I'm reading a translation. He wrote the Institutes in French and Latin, and this translation by Henry Beveridge, he actually, how he did it was he translated both the French and the Latin, as far as I can recall. Uh, he translated both the Latin and the French, and then uh, uh, at basically at the same time interweaving it so that he can get a good idea of in the English what does uh, did Calvin mean. The good thing is that English grabs a lot of its language already from the, the French and Latin. 
And so it's just a matter of finding a way to fit the uh, Germanic style of English um, in with it also. So it's not a matter of, you know, take this away or give this away, but just a matter of style, really. So uh, here is uh, chapter one, section one of uh, John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But these are connected together by many ties. It is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. For, in the first place, no man can survey himself without um, forthwith uh, turning his thoughts towards God, in whom he lives and moves. Um, but it is perfectly obvious that the thoughts towards God, in whom he lives and moves, uh, and the endowments which we possess, cannot possibly be for ourselves. Um, no that our very being is nothing else than subsistence in God alone. In the second place, those blessings which unceasingly distilled to us from heaven are like streams conducting us to the fountain here again, the infinitude of good, um, which resides in God, becomes more apparent from our poverty. In, protect, in particular, the miserable ruin in which the revolt of the first man was, has plunged us compels us to turn our eyes upward, not only that while hungry and famished we may thence ask what we want, but being aroused by fear may learn humility. For as there exists in man something like a world of misery. And ever since we were stripped of the divine attire, our naked shame discloses an immense series of disgraceful properties. Um, every man, being stung by the um, consciousness of his own unhappiness, in this way necessarily obtains at least some knowledge of God. Thus, our feeling of ignorance, vanity, want, weakness, in short, depravity and corruption reminds us um, that in the Lord and none but he dwell the true light of wisdom, solid virtue, exuberant goodness. We are accordingly urged by our own evil things to consider the good things of God and indeed we cannot aspire to him in earnest until we have begun to be displeased with ourselves. For what man is not disposed to rest in himself? Who, in fact, does not thus rest so long as he is unknown to himself? That is, so long as he is contented with his own endowments and unconscious for unmindful or unmindful of his misery. Every person, therefore, on coming to the knowledge of himself, 
is not only urged to seek God, but is also led, as by the hand, to find him. That is a wonderful statement. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. And I, I think, I, obviously, it's on purpose that it's a wonderful statement because it's the first paragraph and he's trying to draw in his readers. He's, he's letting you know, very simply, that man is, the man's mind, uh, the gaining of knowledge, is the end goal is to learn more about ourselves and to learn more about our God. And uh, despite Sherlock Holmes's uh, skepticism, you can do both. It is possible to uh, do both at the same time. Uh, because it, at least in our minds, it's the same time. That's why it makes the point there are many strings that are attached to the, these two subjects of knowing ourselves and knowing God. Uh, God is not so transcendent that we can not seek after his face. Why? Not because he couldn't make himself more transcendent, but because he desires to be known. The, which is why he gives us a brain, which, or which is why he gives us a mind, he gives us an intellect. Uh, we'll read later in other chapters uh, of how the intellect and the will, or the will is uh, dependent upon the intellect, uh, though the intellect is not necessarily dependent upon uh, one's will. <clears throat> But it is so important for us to recognize that uh, in our dealings with scriptures, in our dealings with uh, fellow saints, <clears throat> in our dealings with uh, our prayer life, in our introspections, uh, confessing our sins, that we don't get all blase blah about it. Uh, before I carry on uh, with John Calvin, there is one uh, statement that is often, or not statement, but uh, objection that's often laid against uh, somebody being called a Christian or a Calvinist. Uh, and uh, they say, well, you should just, just be a Christian. You should just read the Bible. Uh, man's religion that John Calvin promotes man's religion you're, all you're doing is uh, following a man and not God uh, now here here is my uh, honest opinion uh, if I read Calvin's Institutes more than I read the scriptures if I prayed to John Calvin instead of um, to God the Father uh, or if I prayed to the Father through John Calvin, through uh, Mary, and through uh, Lord Jesus Christ, something like that, and I had John Calvin intercede on my behalf, and that's what I meant by being a Calvinist, uh, then I would say you have a point. Uh, but as far as I can uh, muster up in my own uh, self-accounting, my own uh, introspection uh, 
to call yourself a Calvinist, for me to call myself a Calvinist, is simply an extension of uh, the Apostles' Creed where it says, uh, I believe, I believe the um, Holy Catholic Church, I believe the communion of saints. Okay, so Calvin is a part of that communion of saints. Uh, just as I am to listen to my pastor, uh, my pastor has more authority over me than uh, John Calvin does, for he's my immediate pastor. He is the one who uh, who is called to uh, reg- not regulate me, but uh, certainly give an account for me. He's responsible for me. And how important is it that uh, we are humble enough to listen to our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all of history. And insofar as uh, I agree with everything that I've read from John Calvin, I've agreed with. Uh, Nobody's brought forward a claim by John Calvin by which I say, oh, that's terrible. the only thing that, uh, and even things that I get confused on, like when he deals with his uh, uh, civil law and uh, the civil magistrates, uh, there's a little bit of confusing language in his view of how the civil magistrate should be governed. Uh, but I think the only confusion is because I'm American and he's Genevan, right? So he's using language in a time where there was no America, there was no American Republic. Uh, they weren't talking about sending missions, missionaries to America uh, per se. They were talking about sending missionaries to Brazil and to Florida, which is obviously part of America, but the, there wasn't a thought of sending uh, missionaries to uh, the uh, the country of America. Uh, the founding of America would be over a hundred years later. Uh, I think even 200 years later. So, uh, this is important because, and the reason why I mentioned the communion of saints, because uh, this book is filled, is chalked full of quotes, not just from scripture, but also quotes from other saints, uh, whether it be a Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine or uh, St. Athanasius or St. Uh, John Martyr, or Justin Martyr, rather. Uh, these are wonderful uh, men of God, uh, pastors, theologians. I do want to stress pastors. These are men who have actual authority. Uh, not just some pajama hadeen guy like me who sits around in his uh, robe and sleep pants and 
dictates things and yada yada yada. Uh, but these are men who are called by God to be teachers who are held to a standard that's higher than the standard that um, God holds on me. Uh, and they, and Calvin tips his hat to it. And again, he, he's, and I mentioned at the beginning, this, these volumes are written not just for the edification of the saints, uh, not just for not just for the uh, education and training up of godly leaders, but it is a plea to uh, the Roman um, Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, uh, to show leniency, not leniency, but to just to simply recognize uh, we believe in the uh, communion of saints. Uh, you, when you are uh, communing with each other, you don't lop each other's heads off. Uh, we disagree theologically, sure, right? Uh, we think the Popish Mass is wrong, uh, and you think that the style of communion that we do is wrong, uh, but it's not worthy of. Uh, the sword Uh, and this is what his uh, stance was Uh, certainly and the reason why I know that that's the case is he was no uh, he was not afraid of the death penalty for actual heretics or for actual uh, false teachers in the church Uh, the most famous being Servetus who was a vehement, fiery uh, idolater who taught and proclaimed that Trinitarians deserved to die and that God was not a Trinitarian Trinitarian God and so he was spouting this off in the Holy Roman Empire he already had a death warrant by the, uh, the the Roman Church by the Holy Roman Empire and so when he went, when this guy went to Geneva, expecting asylum, uh, the the laws aren't different when it comes to um, heresies and false doctrines. And so what happens? Well, he gets burned at the stake. And John Calvin is for the death penalty when it comes to heresies. And the uh, and it's not a matter of just believing heresies, like I had mentioned. It wasn't that he was in his uh, closet, um, talking, believing himself, uh, you know, that Trinity was wrong or that, uh, you know, whatever. But he was bringing others to stumble. He was teaching others to, uh, denounce the, um, who God is, how God had revealed himself in scripture. And this is not okay, no matter what they say. And it is important to recognize that uh, Servetus was not a good guy. Uh, he, again, wanted to have the Christians killed. So this isn't a guy who 
uh, uh, was a you know peace love and or love peace and bacon grease type of guy. This was a guy who uh, wanted the death penalty to be put upon the Trinitarians. So we shouldn't be shocked. He wasn't shocked when the Trinitarians put the death penalty on him. Uh, if you say that Calvin was a bad guy for condoning and endorsing the death penalty, then I would remind you that it is the Lord Jesus himself who says it better a man have a millstone tied to his neck and thrown into the sea. Better a man have a millstone tied to his neck and thrown into the sea than to have one of these little ones stumble. Okay. We don't take heresy seriously anymore because we take ourselves too seriously. That's why I read chapter 1, section 1, because John Calvin lets us know when we examine ourselves, we examine ourselves to be evil. And you can't help but think when we think we're ourselves evil. You can't think about we can't help but think about the goodness of God. And we think about the goodness of God. We can't help about the sinfulness of ourselves. Uh, and notice that he keeps it personal. Uh, it is your God. It is, and it is yourself. Uh, he's not calling for us to examine our neighbor. He is calling us to examine ourselves. Uh, as um, Peter says, that we are to always uh, make our election sure. Uh, make sure you are saved. And you do that by examining yourself and, and examining God. Uh, why? Well, because we're image bearers of God, and so it makes it easier for us to do such things. Um, I hope this was an encouragement to you. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your drive to work. Uh, that um, whilst you were driving to work, uh, I hope that uh, you gained some knowledge. I hope that you buy uh, many copies and give them away to families. This volume of Institutes of the Christian Religion by uh, Henry or by John Calvin, translated by Henry Beveridge. Uh, it's in the public domain, so I don't have a problem with uh, not quote or not saying that all the time. But uh, I would encourage you to get a copy, and read it. Uh, my Armenian um, brethren, especially. Uh, I would suggest reading it s simply so that you don't have a stigma of John Calvin anymore. Uh, you may still not like some Calvinists, but I'd I'd be hard. You would be you would be hard pressed to to not like Ca John Calvin after reading his Institutes. You may disagree with his view of the civil magistrate, which is why he had no problems with burning Servetus at the stake. Well, he didn't, but you know. The civil count, the civil magistrate did, which it's their authority to do so. He wanted them to use the sword because he, I mean, his view, you know, the, the civil government is has authority of the sword. God has given them the sword. You know, God has not given them um, the fire. So, uh, and I guess there there is a bit of a, you know, God 
uses fire, you know, by the flames of hell. A man should not be the ones who wield the fire, wield the flame. All right, that should that should do for now. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you guys want to continue this conversation, I would most certainly love to do so. Uh, if you want to uh, add me on Facebook, just um, look me up on Facebook at um, Zachary Kameen. I'm Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-K-A-M-I-N. And then uh, Twitter is just at Zachary Kameen. And then you can also email me at ZacharyKameen at Yahoo.com. If you wanted to, if you know somebody who you think I should interview, whether it be your pastor or uh, some civil, I would actually really like to start interviewing more civil magistrates. And I'll be doing more of that as we go. Uh, and just, I love having conversations with people. And if you want to be on, if you want to be on the show, just shoot me an email or uh, a t- tweet at me or something. Uh, God bless you guys. Uh, hopefully, you guys are driving safe. Um, so that you, I want you guys to uh, live, to drive another day, and listen to me another day. God bless. Take care. Godspeed.